0: Amen, amen. Um, good morning. Uh, we do have, uh, I think it was four or five families next door going through Ace One Hundred One. So man, we're we're just so uh, excited that God keeps sending people our way, and that uh, people continue uh, to to buy into what we're doing here and to take part in it. And so we're excited about that. Also, want to take a moment. Uh, to appreciate our worship and media team um, I know you guys are second service folks so y'all are rolling in here about ten thirty ten forty five ten six ten you know fifty five whatever time you get here but like these were this worship team and this media team they've been here since at eight, eight o'clock at the latest and uh, they come in every week prepared ready to rehearse so the worship team is before you in our media booth they're awesome and I just i don't tell them enough thank you for what they do. Um, And so uh, keep it up. Y'all are awesome. Um, So this morning we're wrapping up our our sermon series. We've been talking about leadership. We've just been going through what does it look like to be a leader? What does it look like to be a, a biblical leader? And so... Uh, Today, we're going to finish that up by looking at what does church leadership look like? What is all this that we've been talking about? How does it fit into the life of the church? And so we're going to talk today through Acts chapter 6. We're going to be a lot of other places, but Acts 6 is going to be kind of like our launching point. So what does church leadership look like in the Bible? What should it look like for us here at Lindsay Lynn East? Um, So we're jumping in in Acts chapter 6 into the biblical storyline. After Jesus has died on the cross for our sins, uh, he's been raised up to new life. He spends about 40 days appearing uh, to his disciples and to several other people, and then he ascends into, into the right hand of the Father. The disciples are filled with God's Spirit shortly thereafter, and the message of Jesus, this this good news of Jesus, is proving itself to be absolutely transformative in the lives of thousands of people As we see them, we see the movement of Christ growing rather quickly. Um, And something I haven't, I guess maybe I've noticed it before, but just in studying about leadership over this month and coming to Acts chapter 6 and looking through the book of Acts, the thing that uh, just honestly left me kind of smiling this week um, is it's fun to watch church leaders try to figure out what to do. Right, like, so we see these apostles, and they're, 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 they go from a room full of disciples of Jesus to over 3,000 in one sermon, okay? And then they're trying to figure out what to do. They're trying to figure out how do we sustain, what do we do with all these people that God's sending to us, and how do we, what decisions we need to make, what leadership we need to look like, how are we going to, and they're doing all that, and I'm sitting here smiling going, man, it's good to be in good company. Because like as a pastor of a growing church, like, it freaks me out to think about the future. Like, I, I look at, man, God, what are we going to do? God, we're landlocked. we got, like, two and a half acres here. Like, according to standards, that means we'll never get over 250 people. Like, what are we, how are we going to grow this thing into the way that you want it to do? Or is, is this it? Like, is this where you just want us to stop, God? Like, what is leadership? All these questions are things I wrestle with. But here's the difference between me and the guys in the book. I've got articles, books I can read pastors I can call, churches I can consult with, (laughs) I can Google it. (laughs) Like, I've got all this stuff at at my disposal. These cats are in it, and they're the first ones ever to deal with church growth decision making. And it was fun for me this week to watch them wrestle with it, to just go, okay, this is good. We're in, we're in good company here. Uh, one of the major things that we see them address, though, uh, among other things, but one of the major things that they have to address as the church grows is what does leadership look like in the church? So the book of Acts and the letters that follow it are going to show us a leadership structure that honestly keeps morphing slightly to match the needs of the community of faith. Um, you've heard me say this before. God's word is first and foremost wisdom literature. Uh, God's word in most places does not say, "Hey, 21st century believers, do this, 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 and this, and you'll live a holy life." What we see in God's word most often is a group of people who are trying to do that very thing, and God calls us to look at them and learn from them. And I believe in the Book of Acts. Oftentimes, we try to take it so literally. We try to take, uh, we try to look at it as descript, uh, prescriptive and not descriptive. And today, what I want to show you, what I believe is that Acts chapter 6 and the other verses we're going to look at are giving us wisdom for what leadership in the church should look like, and it may be a little bit different than what you're used to. So save the rocks for the end, okay? Let me pray. I'm going to read uh, Acts 6, 1 through 7, then I'm going to pray, and we'll come back and talk about this text and many others. In those days, as the disciples were increasing in number, there arose a complaint by the Hellenistic Jews so these are the, Jew, the Jewish Christians who uh, were really living as uh, citizens in Rome and weren't necessarily keeping all of the same laws of the Hebraic Jews who are mentioned next. So there's a complaint by the Hellenistic Jews against the Hebraic Jews that their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution. Uh, more than likely food and other things. The 12 summoned the whole company of the disciples and said, it would not be right for us to give up preaching the word of God to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and wisdom whom we can appoint to this duty, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole company, so they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and five other guys that I'm going to wrestle, I'm going to struggle to pronounce. Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenus and Nicholas, a, con- a convert from Antioch. They had them stand before the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The disciples in Jerusalem increased greatly in number, and a large group of even the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. Let's pray. God, I pray, God, that you would... Uh, help your word to come alive for us today. Um, God, help us to to glean from your word the wisdom in regards to our church um, and, God, how we should function and, and what it should look like, God, for us moving forward. And, God, we believe that the answers are found in your word. And so, God, help us to see those today. Um, God, help us to to desire you with with all that we have. And, God, help us today uh, to to teach us to know you today and that you would be with us. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So uh, it's probably clear, uh, just from me reading the text or you reading it on the screen, but the church is expanding quickly here. Uh, up until this point, there are two groups within the church, okay? And it's what a business world would call a very flat organization. You have the apostles, 12 guys, and everyone else under here, right? Under the leadership of those 12 apostles. That's it. That's it. This is the church leadership at this point. Now, if you're not familiar with the term apostle, or if you grew up in church, you probably are, but I want to help you understand what it actually is. Uh, the, The term apostle means messenger or sent one. That's what it is. And so We remember those most often as the 12 guys who walked with Jesus during his earthly ministry, Peter, James, John, Andrew, and then all the other guys that we often forget. Those 12 guys that walked with Jesus' ministry. But that number actually changes some because at the end of Jesus' life, right, one of his disciples was the one that caused that, Judas. And so Judas, out of grief, uh, takes his own life. And then, but then, so it drops to 11, but then the apostles say, hey, we need 12 of us. So they get a group together, the people that witnessed the, the resurrection of Jesus. You can read about this in Acts 1. And they put forward a guy, uh, a couple guys, and they draw straws and ask the Lord to bless the straws. And they discover that the Lord would choose Matthias, which I mispronounced in the first service, uh, Matthias to be uh, this new apostle. So now they're back up to 12. Well, then a little bit later, this guy named Paul, who's actually trying to persecute the church, he has an encounter with Jesus on a road, and God, and Jesus calls him to be an apostle. So that makes 13. And then Paul, in his writings, talks about this guy named James, who is actually a physical brother of Jesus, or a half-brother, whatever you want to call that, of Jesus, who's in Jerusalem and is this incredible leader. And Paul calls him an apostle in two different locations. So now we're up to 14. And then that's just the ones that Bible mentions. We don't know if there are more as the story goes on, but we know at this point there are 12. It's soon to be 14. There may have been others. That's not as important. What we need to see is that these are the leaders in the church. In Jerusalem, these are the leaders. And we don't know how long this season lasts from Acts 1 to Acts 6, but what we see is that in Acts 6, things begin to change things begin to change. And we see the first piece of wisdom that I want to share with you that that God kind of laid on my heart about church leadership from these texts today. And it rhymes, and I'm sorry because it makes it sound cheesy, but I'm trying to help you remember it. And that's point number one is this, church needs bring about church leads. Uh, It makes me queasy to say it, Um, but it helped me remember it this week, okay? So look back at the text with me, verse one. Remember that That this this group of people, this group of seven men is coming about because as the disciples were increasing in number, there was a complaint by the Hellenistic Jews because the Hebraic Jews were getting food and they weren't. That's the, the, the thing. And so at this point... In Jerusalem is the only place we see an organized church. Yes, the gospel is beginning to spread out to different locations, but this is the only organized church that we know of in the known world. And what is going on in the text? Conflict. And I know if you've grown up in the church, it shocks you to, to no end that there may be conflict in the church, but it does happen. And at the church in Jerusalem, there was this mistreatment of this one group over another. And so what do the apostles do? What do the apostles do? They recognize the need and they decide to create a new, a whole new position. They write up a job description. We don't know how they did it. But they they they, they realize, man, we've got a need. We've got we've got people that are feeling neglected and, and God made all of us in his image and he saved all of us by the same blood of Jesus Christ. So we've got to meet we've got to we've got to meet this need. And the apostles don't say, okay, well, we'll meet it ourselves. Instead, they create a new level of leadership centered around meeting needs like these. You see that in verses 2 through 4. it would not be right for us to give up preaching the word of God to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and wisdom who we can appoint to this duty. But we, the apostles, will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And I know what you're thinking, stuck-up apostles. What, y'all can't wait on tables? Like that's, that's that's sin in our hearts. It makes us think that, right? The apostles sound like they're saying, hey, we're too good to wait on tables. You guys find somebody else to do that. That's not the case. Last week, we talked about three leadership principles from God's word that are good for all of us. And one of the things that we talked about, uh, I gave you a quote that, that stuck out to me a long time ago in leadership, and that is uh, good leaders prioritize doing what only they can do. The spiritual direction of the early church was dependent on these twelve men, and that needed to be their focus, and that needed to have their attention. So instead of sacrificing the direction for the sake of waiting on tables, they decided to select some helpers. Now, we don't know what they named these people. There were seven of them. We don't know if they called them waiters. We don't know if they called them hosts, uh, like you'd see at the at the. Uh, I don't know, the TGI Fridays that you're going to go eat at after service? Anybody TGI Fridays fans? No? Okay. Are they not there in Huntsville anymore? Chili's. All right, right, whatever. It's the same restaurant anyway. Chili's, same food, whatever. That's why it landed flat. Y'all are all looking at me like I don't know what that is. All right. But we don't know what they called them. We don't know what they named these people, but it was born out of a real need in the church. And that's what we need to notice. That's what God just, again, for whatever reason, it hasn't clicked with me until this week. From this text, it seems that different roles exist in the church because different needs arise. When conflict uh, and problems come, oftentimes the answer for the church is to create a new role, create new people, leaders that can step in and handle that. We don't just have roles in the church to give people titles because it makes them feel good and they don't have real tasks. The church experiences a need and then calls people to step into that role to meet the need when we do that, when we, the church does that well, what we see here in the text is this move accomplishes two things. It gets more people involved in the work. At this point, there were 12 men who were doing most of the things. However, here's, here's an opportunity for them to grow by seven. They invite seven men to come in and to help them, and they're now serving. So now there's 19 leaders in the church, and it still allows the apostles to stay focused on their tasks. That's the second thing. This is the only. T- this is the only time at the church in Jerusalem that we see new a new role created. So we have the apostles and then this group of seven. However, I can't help but just think outside the box for just a minute that it may not have been the only time that the church in Jerusalem created a new role. Now, this is an opera. This is a time when they experience something. They go, man, we got a real need. Let's let's bring a team to handle this. Well. What are the odds that they encountered another need in the future? High is the answer. High, high need or high possibility that they encountered that. So more than likely, there there very well could have been other times in the future where they were creating these different pockets of of teams to handle stuff. So we see that going on there. But then as the book of Acts continues, we meet this crazy church planner Extraordinaire, awesome strategist crazy guy named paul and paul says that he also has been called by christ to be an apostle and though most of the the apostles like are settling in jerusalem and they're they're ministering there and yes they're sending people out but paul's the first one of the apostles that we know of that like leaves intentionally for the purpose of starting new works around the world And so Paul leaves with a guy named Barnabas, and they leave to go and to see organized churches begin to be settled in towns and communities and cities all around the world. He does so in some places. He gets there, there's already Christians there. He just needs to give them some direction and worship with them, encourage them, teach them some theology, and then move on. But then he also goes into other places where no one even knows about Jesus. I didn't share this in the first service, but... Uh, a couple weeks ago we sent out uh, Samuel and Chesney uh, Samuel Hardeman Chesney Widener we sent them out um, they're going to be coming back soon and so we sent them out as missionaries to go to Zambia for 16 days and they got to be part of the one of the coolest things guys they got to show the Jesus film if you're familiar with the Jesus film it's a it's a, a film that just tells the story of Jesus the gospel um, and they they've make it in all these different languages they got to share the Jesus film to the best that they know Within a city, a town in Zambia that had never heard the gospel. Like people wearing Lindsey Lane East shirts were the first people to share the gospel in a town. Y'all, that's cool. That's stinking cool, actually, to use a biblical term. And I, But that's what Paul was doing. Paul was going to all these places. Sometimes he found Christians, sometimes he didn't, and he would share the gospel with them. But what's interesting is who's going to provide direction and vision for these new churches? We find out Paul doesn't feel led to stay in each one of those cities. He'll stay sometimes for a year, sometimes more, but he always goes on to the next place. And what we find, and in, in, so we flip all the way to Acts 14, we see his strategy, his, uh, his somewhat simple strategy. After he and his team had preached the gospel in a town, made many disciples there, they returned to places that had already been, Lystra, Iconium, to Antioch, strengthening the disciples there by encouraging them to continue in the faith and by telling them it is necessary to go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. And listen to this part. When they had appointed elders for them in every church... And prayed with fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. You see what's going on. Paul and Barnabas are, are on their on this on this journey making disciples in many cities. And on their way back, they stop back there and they do the same thing. They're, they're, they're preaching the gospel, they're encouraging. But before they leave, what are they appointing? Leaders. Elders is the term that's used. Why? Why was Paul doing this? I have a simple answer. Because the apostles weren't in Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. <laughs> the apostles were not there. So Paul is creating out of a need. You see this? Because there's a need, we need church leadership. So Paul creates a new position within the local church leadership structure. And it's interesting when you read through this, there's a whole chapter, Acts 13, is Paul going and and, and starting... This ministry and and preaching in many places and seeing people come to know Christ, but there's no mention of him setting up elders. I can only think that Paul made his way on that missionary journey and began to hear that some of those churches that he had, had started were crumbling. And so what does he do on his way back through? He says, hey, okay, we learned something. We need leaders. That's what we need, okay? So let's get some leaders. Let's get some elders going. Let's do that. And so then this becomes part of Paul's thing. Before they leave the city, they have elders within the church that can provide direction and vision. Keeps going, though, and later in Paul's ministry, he writes to this young church leader that he had left in Ephesus to be an elder named Timothy. And in Paul's first letter to him, we call it First Timothy, he mentions two leadership roles in the church and gives qualifications for the type of person to look for. And you're never going to believe what they are. Neither one of them is apostle or elder. (laughs) So when Paul writes to Timothy, this is years later, he tells a man, here's here's what you need in your church. You need overseers. That's what he says. He gives one title named overseer. Uh, Your Bible may translate it as bishop, which is a whole like history of why it became that. But, But overseer or bishop. And then the other role he presents to Timothy is deacon. We have no idea how Paul settled on these two terms, these two roles, these two titles. But we can only guess because of the story so far, it happened because of what? Needs. Right? Paul began to see that as he's continuing to plant these churches, he realized that there are needs, and hey, this is this is what we found is working right now. You need overseers and you need deacons. Church leadership in the New Testament especially for me this week, has been an interesting study because it seems to, to me that they are adapting as they learn what this new movement looks like. This is why I don't think, and I'm not speaking on behalf of Lindsay Lane Baptist Church, I'm speaking just as your pastor, I don't believe God intended us to find in His Word an exact blueprint for what leadership structure is supposed to look like. I believe he provides some very clear guidelines, but then beyond that, he provides wisdom principles to guide our decisions. And that's why I gave you a cheesy number one wisdom principle so that hopefully you can remember church needs bring about church leads. That's what we're seeing in the text, the book of Acts, and the letters that follow it. But let's talk about the leadership roles um, that, that Paul mentions to Timothy, okay? Let's talk about these two. First off, Paul mentions that we need leaders who serve. Leaders who serve. Wisdom principle number two. Now, the New Testament churches, the ones that we see planted in the book of Acts from here on forward and in Paul's letters, what we're seeing is that they have distinct leadership. There, is, there, are, there are people who are providing direction for the group. In Jerusalem, early on, that was the apostles. Later, as churches spread, they were elders. At some point, it becomes overseers. We believe apostles, just so you know what this word is, um, We believe I told you what it meant, but but we believe that this is a unique gifting for a particular age in the church that helped establish the church in the world. Okay, There's people who had seen the resurrected Jesus physically, <clears throat> with their own eyes, and we're helping to establish the church in the world. So in a literal sense, we believe that God's not making any more apostles. That's not a thing. So now, and from when all 12, 14, how many ever of those guys died till now, who's supposed to be leading churches? Is it elders? Is it overseers? Y'all call me pastor, among other names. Sometimes worse. So which is it? What is the term? So I'm going to argue uh, in agreement with many theologians that are a lot smarter than me and gone before me that these three terms are actually synonymous: elders, overseers, and deacons. Let me show. Let me show you why I believe that. Uh, Acts 20:17. So this is uh, Paul's part of Acts here. Uh, this is talking about Paul now from Miletus. Paul sent to Ephesus. Uh, the city and summoned the elders of the church there. So, Paul invites the elders of Ephesus to come and meet with him. And he says this in verse 28. He ta- He's encouraging them. He talks a lot to them from 17 down to 28. But in 28, he says, Be on guard, elders, for yourselves and for all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as what? Overseers. To shepherd the church of God which he purchased. With his own blood. So we're seeing that word overseer again. But what does Paul say? Paul says to the elders that the Holy Spirit has appointed them as overseers. It's the same thing, okay? <laughs> the point. Uh, overseer or bishop. Again, depends on how it's translated. Paul says that these elders, God has called you through the Holy Spirit to be overseers. And then the task before them, he says, is to shepherd the church of God. And I haven't told you this yet, but the term shepherd that's used here is the verb form of pastor. So to pastor is to shepherd. So are you seeing this? Paul says that the elders are overseers and pastors. All three terms in one sentence talking about the exact same role. First Peter 5. I'm not making this up. Paul didn't make this up. First Peter. Peter talks about it too. He says, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and witness to the sufferings of Christ as well as one who shares in the glory about to be revealed. Shepherd God's flock among you. Not overseeing out of compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. Not out of greed for money, but eagerly. What are we seeing? The three terms again. To the elders, he writes, shepherd the flock, oversee willingly. These three terms seem to be synonymous. And I think it's rather clear that they're synonymous. However, this biblical evidence hasn't kept churches throughout Christian history. From honing in on one term and saying this is who leads the church, it's pastors, or other church, other denominations will say no, it's elders, and then others will say no, we need a bishop or an overseer. Like this, this is what's going on. And some of you guys, every time we gather, this is what I love about this church. You guys all come with different experiences. Y'all all come from different denominations, and some of y'all don't even know what a denomination is because this is the first church you've ever been a part of, and that's cool too. But for those of you that come from different church backgrounds, I know this may kind of disagree with some of what you learned growing up. But some churches not only lock into one particular term, some of them even create different levels of leadership using these terms. And that's a conversation for another day. But at Lindsay Lane Lane East here, uh, we use the term pastor pretty exclusively. Um, I prefer Heath, but... Pastor is what most of you refer to the role that I'm in, but I'll argue it doesn't matter what you call the leaders of a church because Paul does it three different ways. It's just clear that you need to have people set aside to lead under the authority of Christ and with the authority of the church. Whichever term a church uh, chooses to use isn't as important as having the role filled. And having the role, listen to me, and having the role filled by a qualified person. That's the kicker. Call them doofus one for all I care, but find a guy who's in the role, who's qualified to be in the role. If you fire me next year, which could happen, right? It could If you fire me next year and you guys go to look for a new pastor, just remember this, this sermon. This is for my firing, okay? (laughs) Find a guy who's qualified. So let's talk about these three times. I think, again, I think there's wisdom here. I don't think God's saying through his word, call them this. This is what church leaders are to be called you see, the leaders in the church are not unbiblical because we call them the wrong thing. They are unbiblical if they function the wrong way. You see this? That's where I think there's a lot of wisdom to pass on here. So let's look at each one of these individuals. Let's look at the term elder. Elder carries with it the reminder that these leaders of churches are to be spiritually mature. There's to be an elder in regards to their spiritual maturity. If I, as a leader of this church, am not an elder in regards to my spiritual maturity, then I am unfit to serve. That's why Paul gives uh, Timothy a list of expectations to look for in a pastor. 1 Timothy 3. You can read that list for yourself later. And churches should should look at that and carefully choose their leaders based on that list. Call them whatever you want but they need to be spiritually mature like an elder. But Paul also uses the term overseer, and I believe leaders of the church are to be overseers in regards to their calling and responsibility. I know pastors, some of y'all don't understand what we do. Look, I built cabinets for six and a half years, okay? I know what it's like to work 49 hours a week in 95-degree weather installing cabinets in a house that don't have air conditioning yet. Okay, I know what real work looks like. What we do as pastors doesn't look like that. I know you're like, no, Heath, we, we think you work real hard. I get it. Like what we do as pastors doesn't look like work to most of you. That's why Jared told me yesterday, looks like you actually did something today. Like as we've been doing some construction, I was sweaty. Right? I called Jared out. But like, I get that. But like, because what we do, it looks weird. But I'm telling you, when I look, when I think about the word overseer, what I, and I'm not trying to, because like I've worked hard and there's, there's, there's times I want to go back to installing cabinets, but then there's other things about that that I hated that I, I don't have to do. But I just want you to know, not to pat myself on the back, but it's heavy being a pastor. A good biblical church leader is one who takes seriously their calling to lead a group of people spiritually. To be an overseer is in regards to our calling and our responsibility to the church. And a church leader who doesn't take seriously, that should find something else to do. That's what it means to be an overseer. And so then Paul also uses this this verb, pastor, to pastor, to shepherd. And leaders of the church are to pastor in regards to their love and compassion for their people. Pastor comes directly from the term shepherd, and I don't even have to tell you that that's a highly used Old Testament image, and it carries a ton of ideas. Shepherds protect, they correct, they care, they direct, they live their life right alongside their sheep. And a good biblical church leader will pastor well like a good shepherd. Churches need leaders. Leaders. And don't care as much what you call them, but we should care who they are and how they function. This first wisdom principle is that New Testament churches need leaders who serve. People who we call, their primary role is to lead. However, the way that they do that is by serving. Leaders who pastor, leaders with a heart for people, not rigid CEOs making decisions from a desk while avoiding interactions with people. Churches need leaders who serve. Now I'll quit talking about my role. We see another position in the church that seems pretty important, and that is servants who lead. You see what I did there? Leaders who serve, servants who lead. It's going to make sense, okay? Servants who lead. That's what Paul says next. There, There need to be people within a congregation who are serving. Their primary role is to serve. But the way that they do that service is by taking up the responsibility to be leaders as well. Here's what I mean. Paul doesn't give us a ton of information um, on, on this role that I'm about to talk about. He, he does mention several times, um, and he, he talks about that it's, it's, it's filling within the local church that he was planting, the churches. That's the term deacon. If you've been around church, you're familiar with the term. And there are literally, biblically, only two things that I've been able to find that we know about deacons and what they did or who they were. The first comes from the word itself. Well, y'all are always impressed when I butcher Greek words, and here's another one: diakonos. It's a Greek word that Paul uses here in First Timothy chapter three when he's given the qualifications for deacon. However, this word and its other forms are often translated as minister or servant, and so it's not it's not this this word that's used only doesn't always necessarily just mean deacon, a person who's serving in a specific role, but it seems clear that whatever deacons did in the first century, their job description, at the top of the job description, their primary role would be to serve other people. The other thing that we know about the deacons the early church comes from a list of maturity expectations in the letter to Timothy. Right after he finishes talking about the, the church leader's role, He gives expectations of what deacons should look like. And listen, I don't know what you, again, you come from, we all got different church experiences, but I can promise you, most of us will be blown away by the expectations that the Bible actually puts forward for deacons. Like it's a, it's an, it's a heavy list, a lot heavier than most churches take into consideration. Um, Uh, There there are, just like there are unhealthy pastor uh, structures in churches, there are also unhealthy deacon structures within churches. And some of you are casualties of that in other churches, where churches split over decisions that were made by pastors or unhealthy deacon situations. And the truth is, this list that's laid out here like points to people who are spiritually mature and understand that their main role is to serve and then that's literally all we know about this church position in the early church servants who are living their lives as examples to others that if they take seriously the spirit the maturity expectations they are leaders they're they're servants who lead And when you take that and you look back at Acts chapter 6, this is why a lot of people think that Acts 6 is the birth of the first deacons. When when we talked about those seven men earlier who were chosen, you remember them? Two choices. Were they chosen to lead the church or serve the church? You can say it out loud. Serve. Serve. Thank you. They were called. to say, It's clear. Hey, wait, look, it, they literally, that's the word that's used. Diak, diakonos, that's the word that's used. They were called by the leaders of the church to wait on tables. The word wait is the word diakoneo, which is the verb form of the word diakonos, which is the word for deacon, right? So the apostles literally said, you know what we need? We need somebody to deacon these tables we got out here. That's what they said. Like that, if you're putting it like transliterating or whatever. These seven men were clearly called to be servants in their primary role. But what's interesting, do you know their stories? Let me tell you about them. One of them was named Philip. And Philip was a dude who was so pumped about how God had changed his life that he became... He 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 was a guy who, who made sure he was still meeting the tables. We we don't know that that ever quit. He continues to wait on the tables, but in between time, he's so pumped and ready to share the gospel with anyone that he travels around and just tells everyone he can. The, well, the story that stands out the most, most notably, God used him to proclaim the good news of Jesus to an Ethiopian official one day t- traveling down a desert road. And... You know, church history tells us that an Ethiopian official carried the gospel back to Ethiopia. Like, that's a cool story. Acts chapter 8, read it for yourself. The other guy that's mentioned is Stephen. He was also one of the seven servants. Let me tell you what it says about him. Now, Stephen, this is uh, Acts 6, 8 through 10, full of grace and power, was performing great wonders and signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from some members of the freedmen synagogue, composed of both Cyrenians and Alexandrians, and some were from Cilicia and Asia. And they began to argue with Stephen. But they were unable to stand up against his wisdom and the spirit by whom he was speaking. It's not a preacher, y'all. It's not a guy who's called to be an apostle. Like this is not a pastor. This is not an overseer of a local church. This is a dude who they trusted to wait tables. But yet he's leading through his life in such an incredible way that they're going, we can't even win an argument with this guy. Like, he's so full of the Spirit, and incredible things are happening. And if you need to know it, in fact, he's, he's leading so well through his personal life that he's brought before the high priest, and he doesn't back down. They say, hey, this Jesus that you're talking about, it needs to quit. Stephen says, he begins at Genesis 12 and says, you remember how God called Abraham? You remember that? That's a big thing in your world, in the Jewish world. And he, began, he begins at Genesis 12, works all the way through to Second Samuel in our Bible. Every story. And then drops the mic, how it all points to Jesus. And it cost him his life. Stephen, a man who was called by the church to wait tables, was leading in his personal life so well that he was the first ever martyr. By martyr, I mean someone who laid down their life for the cause of Christ. He wasn't a pastor. He wasn't a church planning missionary with Paul. He was a guy who was serving faithfully in his local church with with service at the primary role on his job description, yet he's leading so well. The problem is we don't hear anything else about these other five guys, these servants. But what we can see is that they're not necessarily leaders in the church. They're servants in the church, but they're leading through their lives. And still today in local churches, we need people who are willing, we need leaders who are willing to be servants, leaders who aren't trying to lord it over, over the church, God, that they're just willing to, to, to just to serve as pastors, but we also need servants who are willing to be leaders. One of the questions I get a lot from a lot of new people is does East have deacons? I get that question a lot, and some of y'all don't even know the answer to that. I'm about to tell you the answer to it. We got dozens. We got dozens, a lot more than a church our size normally would have. But we don't call them deacons. What we have is an entire volunteer structure of people who are serving their butts off. And each one of them is in their place because a, there was a point in our church's life in which we said the pastor can no longer head up this ministry. The pastor can no longer lead this thing, meet this need. We need someone to step in and do it. Does that sound familiar? It's exactly what the church has been doing from the very beginning. They are faced with a need and they say, let's find somebody to fill it. And that's what our church has done. And then we keep rolling (laughs) and then another need arises. And what do we do as a church? We find someone who can faithfully fill that. And we go, boom, you don't have to call it deacon, but it looks a lot like Acts chapter six. And each one in our leadership team, our leadership environment, they're not only serving their butts off, they're doing it so that I don't have to. And that we as a staff can stay focused on the things that we need to, that me as your pastor can stay focused on the spiritual direction of the church. They are serving all the while living their lives like leaders. And here at East, If you're new here, sorry. Um, You don't necessarily know this, but I'm going to tell you up front. We're not the most textbook Southern Baptist church uh, in the way that we function, especially in our leadership structure. But I'll argue till the day that I die or until the spirit changes my mind that in the way we function, it's the most biblical church I've ever been a part of. Because we have these two things right. We have pastors who who serve and servants who lead. This is the wisdom from the New Testament church fleshed out as best as we can do here. There may be a day in the future when we actually pursue a particular role to help meet a particular need, and we may label them deacons. But we're always trying to do as the early church did. Continue to move, continue to grow, continue to share the gospel, grow the kingdom of God. And as we encounter ongoing issues and problems, we meet it as best we can. And sometimes that means we create a new position. And I'll say this as a, as a leader here who tries my best to keep a servant's heart. I'm going to fail you. Those First Timothy 3 qualifications, are They're heavy. And I'm trying my best to fill those. And there may be times where you feel like I'm slacking on those. There may be times where our volunteers slack on their First Timothy three responsibilities. But I need you to know that all of us are looking not. See, I had great pastors growing up. Tony Bulls, or my first pastor I can remember was a guy by the name of Dennis Bain. He baptized me. Lots of stories. He was a black belt and a magician. I don't know how it worked in pastoring, but he was cool. Tony Bowles was my pastor that I grew up with. I don't know, if those name, names probably don't mean anything to you. They're important to me. Two great men, imperfect pastors. I got an opportunity to go to Salem Springs Baptist Church and work under Kevin Ward, a name that may be more familiar because he helps head up our like Camp Pellin and our association stuff that we do with other churches. He was my first pastor that I served with as a youth pastor. And after he left, I got to serve with Kip McKee, two great men, imperfect pastors. Then I got an opportunity to go back to my hometown of Ardmore and serve at Community Baptist Church with Steve Hargrove, one of my best friends in the world. He was at the hospital when I was born. Long time friend. He was a lot older. He may watch this. That's why I wanted to say that. Great friend, great man, imperfect pastor, right because as a leader it's not i don't i don't I don't look to those men for my standard. I look to Christ because he is the perfect fulfillment of a leader who leads and a servant who leads. a leader who, who serves and a servant who leads. I don't look to my favorite preacher on TV to figure out what it looks like to, to be a leader. And if you're a volunteer in here, you don't, you don't need to look to anyone else other than your ultimate shepherd for your standard because he's the ultimate shepherd who led people perfectly by serving them so well. We know that he met needs of those closest to him at times. He was even willing to take on the lowest servant's role. Write down John thirteen twelve through 15 if you're not familiar. Jesus got down on the ground and washed the nasty feet of his disciples. When nobody else in the room would do it, he did it. And I know you're expecting somebody to bring a bucket up here and let's do that now. It'd be a great visual, but time. And I don't want y'all to see me throw up. But at the end of that, at the end when Jesus says, I've given you this as an example that you should do just as I have done for one another. Jesus says, this is what you do. Serve one another. And here's what I need you to know. If you've never trusted in Jesus as your Savior, you need to today because he is this ultimate shepherd who I look to to help me sh- to help to help learn what it looks like to lead. But he also died on the cross for your sins. And we would love to explain to you how he can change your life just as he changed 3,000 back in Acts 1 and 2 and how he continues to change the people that call Lindsay Lane East home. We'd love to talk to you about it. We're going to sing another song, and I'm going to stand back at the back to be back there to, to answer any questions you have. But also I talked today about servants who lead. And some of you um, maybe st- were stirred up in that for whatever reason. Um, God, you felt the felt the spirit stirring in you. you here, here's what I want you to do. I need you to start praying during this last song that God would get you ready to be a servant who leads here at East. Pray that God would prepare your heart for that. And let us know. I had a lady let me know today. She said, I'm ready to do something. The first service. And if you're already one of these servants who are in our leadership environment, spend time asking God to help you do well with your primary goal of serving and to continue leading well in your personal life. Look to the list in 1 Timothy 3 of spiritual maturity things. That's what we expect of you. That's what God expects of you. But also as I talked about leaders who serve, these church leaders, elders, overseers, pastors, whatever... If God if you felt God urging you towards that as well, I'd love to talk with you about what church leadership could look like for you. As a young man many years ago, I walked down an aisle on a Sunday night in my church and I told my pastor, Tony Bowles, that I felt like God was leading me to vocational ministry. I didn't know what it looked like. I couldn't even tell you what first Timothy three said at the time. And have all the answers. But I knew that I was willing to do whatever God wanted me to do. And for me, that was a big moment. And if you feel like you want to talk with someone about that, we want want to give you an opportunity to do that. So we're going to sing one more song after I pray. If any of these next steps are striking you, trusting in Jesus as your Savior, asking God for more opportunities to serve, asking God to help you serve better, or discussing a call to ministry, I'm going to be back at the back to talk with you about that. Please don't hesitate to come talk to me during this song. But we're going to sing, um, um, goodness. It's slipping my mind. Great is thy faithfulness. There it is. Great is thy faithfulness um, as a closing song. And I'm going to be back there to receive you if you need to talk with me. But the altar will also be open for you to come and pray for yourself or others. But let's bow our heads and pray. Father God, I thank you um, that God, in your word, you give us wisdom. God, so that uh, God we as church leaders aren't just scrambling, trying to figure out what to do. Like, there's some principles here, God, that we can uh, we need to lock into. And God, some guidelines that we need to go by. and God, but we know also that your spirit is, is who leads us to make the decisions that we have to make. And so God, I pray that you just be with us as a church, God, that we move forward, uh, that you would continue to, to reveal to us the principles in your word, but also give us wisdom from your spirit. And God, I pray for those servants in our church, God, who are serving so well. God, now in the kids' building, uh, God, we have people out front greeting. We've had people uh, just uh, God in uh, so many other ways, a security team, God, every Sunday morning, the media team, volunteer team, God, all this is, it's not done. So we get a pat on the back, but God, that that we use our gifts to serve you and and serve the church. And God, I pray uh, that, uh, that you would just continue to help us find the people to meet the needs that we have as a church right now. These problems, these, these things that are before us now that we need to meet, God, put the people before us the church that we can put in those places. Father, we trust you with all this because we make a mess when we handle it ourselves. So God, you take over this church. You lead. God, do this time of response. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's stand and sing.